Nicely done, beef. No matter how you're cooked. Grilled, sautéed, stir-fried, roasted, or stewed. Your savory sounds are music to everyone's ears. Yeah, now that's a dinner playlist. Get cooking at Beef. It's what's for dinner.com. Funded by Beef Farmers and Ranchers. Well, it's Friday afternoon. We're in downtown Starkville. I still don't have my voice all the way back, but it is nevertheless the Friday Deep Dig brought to you by Tracks Plus, Charlie Winfield, Bart Gregory. And Bart, you know, sometimes we can sit down for this deep dig and take a look into the two teams and take a while, but this ball game is going to be early tomorrow. We ain't got a lot of time for people to get ready for this one, so we better get to the point in a hurry today. Yeah, we should. Uh, you're coming out of it. I, you're, you sound a lot better than you did last week, and I think I'm going into it. That's the bad thing. You kind of get that feeling of you're about to have a cold. That's where I am right now because you, you have that fear in your heart because you just don't know how it's going to be and what it's going to affect. And, Charlie, we're in that part right now here in mid-November kind of like we are in late February, where everything's running together. And it's a fun time of year for us because it seems like it's something every day. You know, we have basketball, women's basketball Tuesday night, men's basketball Wednesday night. We've got women's basketball tonight. We've got football and men's basketball tomorrow. Women's basketball. I have volleyball also on Sunday. And so you've got volleyball and basketball Sunday? Yeah. I have volleyball at 1 o'clock, women's basketball at 5 o'clock against Alcorn State. I'll see you for the second one. You didn't even know that, did you? I did not. Yeah. I thought for a minute I was going to have to do pregame tomorrow, volleyball tomorrow, postgame with you, and then do the Montana basketball game. But Anthony Craven is stepping in to do volleyball tomorrow. This is that fun time of year. I mean, I'm not complaining at all. It feels good to be back. Broadcasting. We are are definitely back. That's for sure. And basketball, of course, we don't have time today to talk about basketball because we don't do that, Bart. No, we don't. So I'm going to ask you, by the way, remind everyone that we are in our Farm Bureau studios, Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Check out favrates.com if you're looking for good rates. Just go to Farm Bureau if you're looking for good service. Agents in all 82 counties, they can help you with your insurance needs, vehicle, home. Talk to them about what you need. They can give you a hand and Bart, with that, why don't you get us going? Well, my first thought is this. The, the three of the last four meetings we've gone to Auburn, this game has been decided by one possession. So I look for this game to be to be very similar than three of the last four times we've gone over there. I think this is an evenly matched football game. When you start looking at plays over 10 yards for these teams, Auburn has 141 plays this year, 10-plus. We have 140. We're one right behind them. 20-plus, they've got 44, we've got 39. Now, they do have some separation at 30-plus. 18 plays over 30 yards, we have nine. So we have done a good job of getting plays over 10 yards over the last few games. Now, on the defensive side, we've been much better. We limit teams to just 63 plays over 10 yards. They're 67th. They've given up 82 plays of over 10 yards. And so you start looking through here, they have 11 pass plays over 30. We have nine pass plays over 30. There are just so many similar stats. But here's the one that stands out, Charlie. When you look at yards per completion, Bo Nix is 92nd in the country, 11.27 yards per completion. Will Rogers is 117th, dead last. 
9.11. And that's because of the volume of passes. But who's right behind Bo Nix? And that's Will Levis of Kentucky, 96 to 11.17. And you kind of get to looking at the numbers. I look at this Auburn team. Auburn is Kentucky with a pretty good running game. That's what I see. And I think that's a fair description. Uh, you start to look at the where everybody stacks up in the league. Auburn is, I was going to say, a little bit better Kentucky, but I think you hit on the distinction between the two. We remind you, by the way, that this is our Tracks Plus deep dig that we bring to you every Friday before Mississippi State football games, home or away. Tracks Plus taking care of you out there. If you're in the forestry business, if you're in the dirt moving business, these are the guys that you want to talk to. Yep, Barco equipment for the uh, Forester. Then you've got the Saney equipment for the guys in the dirt construction world. And just a great service to go along with that uh, equipment that you can get. And, hey, these guys, we talk about Farm Bureau being guys that just are immersed in your community. Tracks Plus guys are very similar as well. I mean, they're just the, the guys who go to church with you at all their locations. They're very big in their own communities. And that's one of the great things of growing company. It keeps on getting bigger. And that's at Tracks Plus. Go see Daniel Bounds in Columbus, Fred Fulton over there as well for your forestry needs, Ken Crosby down in Hickory, and then in Summit, Mississippi, Gresh Howell, Alexandria, Louisiana, Hoop Wings, and that's the great people at Trax Plus. All right, Bart, you've had your opening. Look, I'll do the same. No matter what you want to look at statistically, if you want to find Auburn, look about sixth or seventh in the league. Pretty good chance you're going to find them. They're pretty good. They're not great. It's not fair to call Auburn an average team. They're a little better than average team. And statistically, in most categories, they're a little better than we are. Look at scoring 31 points a game. Defensive scoring only allowing 20. If you want to look at them yard-wise, they're not terribly good. They're going to be right in the middle of the league. They do a little bit better in terms of allowing points. It's the old bend, don't break defense type thing. Auburn gives up a lot of yards. They don't give up a ton of points. Conversely, they don't gain a ton of yards on offense, but they're efficient when they do. They have more points than you would expect for the yards that they gain. All that leads to say this. They're pretty good in the red zone. They're pretty good on offense, pretty good in the defense, but it all comes down to this with Auburn. If you want to beat them, stop the run, stop the run, stop the run. The common thread in the Auburn losses this year has been an inability to run the football. One of those was to Georgia I can't think of anybody that runs the football against Georgia. We can say this every week. But they didn't run it against Texas A&M either. At Georgia, 29 carries, 46 yards. At A&M, 29 carries, 73 yards. The blueprint is there. Stop the run. Make Bo Nix and this Auburn offense one-dimensional. If you do, you got a chance to win it. No doubt, and that's kind of going to transition me into my three numbers, Charlie, is what you just talked about, is being in the game. My first number is seven. And if you're within seven points going into the fourth quarter, I think we win this football game. I think we, if we're within seven points, that's my number. Here's the reason why. If you look at Mississippi State, the highest completion percentage by quarter this year, for us, it's the fourth quarter. We complete 78% of our passes in the fourth quarter. We also have the most plays over 25 yards in the fourth quarter. And one of the reasons is when you're a defensive guy and you're chasing these receivers all over the field the entire game, you get worn down. 
We've been winning time of possession, and that wears teams down to the fourth quarter. I see the same thing in this one. If you get to the fourth quarter and you're throwing the ball all over the field and you're within seven points, we have been so good because teams get tired on the defensive side. The switch has been flipping with this team in the fourth quarter, and that's why I say my first number is seven. If you're within seven going into the fourth quarter, we're going to win it. All right, I'll take that. All right, my second number is five, okay? And I'm going to be very brief right here. Five yards after the catch for all the Auburn receptions because that's who they are. They have five yards after the catch on all their balls that they catch this year on all their receptions. We do too. Exactly the same amount from Mississippi State to Auburn. And what do we say each week, Charlie, that we have to piece things together. We're not the big play threat Auburn's the same way. If you read the Auburn articles and you hear about what all the people over there are talking about is they don't have the home run threat with their wide receivers. Where they catch it is where they get tackled. The thing you can't do tomorrow is let them be something that they're not. We talked about this with Kentucky a couple of weeks ago. Not to allow Kentucky to have the big play because that's not who they are. Well, that's not Auburn either. You can't give up the big play. Five yards after the catch has to be the average I'm not asking you to do anything that everybody else hasn't done to Auburn this year. That's their average. Keep them at their average at five yards after the catch. Well, ultimately, when you're trying to win a closely held football game, isn't that the big difference is when a team is able to jump up and do something to get a contribution somewhere they don't normally expect it? Exactly. And what do we talk about Kentucky? They got a punt return. And so Auburn is not a team that gives up a whole lot of of crazy plays like that, and we haven't been either. We gave up that punt return against Kentucky. You know, Auburn hasn't had a punt blocked since Dan Mullen's second game at Mississippi State. We went down there that night, and they ran all over us. Remember that? They scored like 49 points. We blocked a punt that night. That's the last time Auburn has had a punt blocked. It's been 12 years since they had a blocked punt. So what does that say? You can't expect anything like that. And my third number is this, Charlie, while we're talking about special teams. With all the talk about field goal kicking all week long, I say we have to have two field goals to win this football game. And here's the reason why. Auburn has not given up a defensive passing touchdown in the last two games against Ole Miss and against Texas A&M. They haven't given up a touchdown, period, defensively in the last six quarters. Last time he gave up a touchdown was the first half against Ole Miss. So what does that mean? Their defense is stout. Their defense is playing well above its head a little bit right now. Derek Mason, the defensive coordinator, we're going to have to have two field goals. Now, I don't want them to be in a red zone. I hope they're not in a red zone because we need to score touchdowns when we get in the red zone. But here's the thing. They've got the Carlson kid. He's like the third or fourth Carlson I think they had to have over there. It seems like for the last 20 years they've had a Carlson with a field goal kicker. He had three field goals against State last year. Two years before that, three years ago, he had three field goals against Mississippi State. Auburn is going to kick field goals. Brandon Ruiz is not a bad field goal kicker. He's got over 130 extra point attempts that have gone true in a row. He missed a couple last week. He's going to get back going today. I say that we need two field goals. I just hope that we don't change our philosophy greatly. Now, we may go for it a few more times on fourth down. But I hope we don't get exaggerated with that because we do, at the end of the day, deep down, have a pretty good field goal kicker. All right, so your numbers again, seven? Seven, we need to be within seven of Auburn going into the fourth quarter. Five, we need to keep them to five yards after the catch. 
and two, we're going to need two field goals to win this one. You talk about the importance of field goals, and one of the things, and this will not bear out in my numbers, but it jumps out as something that will be important, and it relates to something you said a minute ago. We have to be careful, too, that we limit Auburn's unexpected scoring. And you talk about the way they'll get field goals. You're gonna, you've got to count on those. I look back at the Georgia State game. That ball game was played back at the end of September. Auburn won it 34-24. Here's Auburn scoring in that ball game, Bart. This goes to what you were saying about Carlson and his field goals. A 40-yard field goal, a 23-yard field goal, a 27-yard field goal, a 45-yard field goal. So that's their first 12 points of the game. Then they go block punt return for a touchdown, 10-yard pass completion from Finley, the backup they brought in for a touchdown, and an interception return for a touchdown. They scored 34 points in that ball game, had one offensive touchdown, a couple of found touchdowns on defense and special teams, and a bunch of field goals. I think it can really get into the head of your team if all of a sudden you see a team putting up three, now they got six, now they got nine, now they got 12, and you're not matching it. I think sometimes you just got to match it with a field goal. Yep, you do. And that was the game T.J. Finley came in late. And then they were going into the LSU game the following week. And they almost you know, spit the bit with Georgia State that week. They had all kind of things go wrong. This has been a topsy-turvy Auburn team. Yeah, they they have three losses. They can be really good or they can be really bad. That's the thing I take from it. Well, aren't they just another one of those teams in that great middle of this league? That's us. And probably – on a little bit higher part of the middle. Yeah. I mean, we beat Texas A&M, Kentucky. We lost to Memphis. So everybody's been that way. All right. So let's take a look at my three numbers for this ball game. My first number is 360. 360 is the number of yards that I believe that we have to hold Auburn to if we want to win this football game. Auburn is a team that can put up 600 yards or they can do like last week when they did against Texas A&M and put up 226. You just don't know what you're going to get. They put up 483 against Ole Miss, put up 427 against Arkansas in wins, but then you look at Georgia. They only put up 318, as we mentioned, 226 against Auburn, 367 against Penn State. Those are their three losses. Here's the gist of it. When Auburn gets 400 yards or more of offense, they win. When they don't, they lose. So, what does that mean for us? I think you've got to find a way to hold them at about 360 yards tomorrow. Give yourself a little bit of room for error there. If you do, you've got a chance to win. Now, Auburn averages 427 yards a game. So, it's not like you're asking it. You're not saying play Georgia. We're not saying cut it in half. What we're saying is knock off about 60, 70 yards. How are you going to do that? Look, Auburn is a team that only throws for about 240 yards a game, but they run the football for over 200. Get into that rushing offense of Auburn. Slow it down. If you do, you can hold them under 360, and you've got a chance to win this game. You want to make Bo Nix beat you. That's the thing. And when, when you start figuring out how you're going to get those yards, I mean, how do those yards accumulate? You know, if they've got over 200 yards of rushing, they may not need just a ton of passing yards. And it's going to kind of go back to is how well you do at the line of scrimmage and stopping the run. We, we talked about that the last couple of weeks about stopping Arkansas with a run game. But I think this is a game where if you get beat, you want to say we're going to make Bo Nix beat you, throwing the football. Absolutely. And here's another thing you notice. Throw out the LSU game when they threw it a lot and won. When Auburn has had to throw the football a lot, they have not had success. 
you start pushing them up over 40 pass attempts, that's not where they want to be. They threw 39 at Penn State, 41 against A&M, and they tried to throw it 43 times against Georgia. Make them throw it. I think a higher passing attempt number helps us tomorrow, not hurts us. No doubt. I'm good with that number. What's your second one? 57, and that's the percentage completions that we need to hold Auburn to to win this football game. When you start looking at yards per attempt, these two teams are the same, 6.9 yards per passing attempt. But it comes about in different ways. We throw a lot of short passes. We complete a high rate of passes, better than anybody in the league. Auburn is 11th in completion percentage in the SEC. They are very lowly ranked in terms of pass efficiency. They tend to have some bigger plays. They don't complete a lot of routine passes. Here's the key for me. You have to not let Bo Nix settle in at quarterback and start to complete a high range of passes. He's completing 59% this year, which is not good in today's football. But here's how he does it. Against Akron to open the year, he goes 20-22. Against Arkansas this year, 21-26. Against Ole Miss, 22-31. Point being, in some of those games that are winning, He's putting up super high completion percentages. But then take it back down to last week, 20 of 41. Look at Georgia, 24 of 43. Bottom line is when he completes less than 57% of his passes, they lose. He is one of these guys. We talk about it in basketball all the time. You've got guys who may average 14 points a game, but they're going to give you 26 points one night and two the next. That's Bo Nix as a passer. You want him to be on the bottom side of his of his average tomorrow. He's Milo's sweet tea in some games, and he's ruined unsweet tea in some games. Isn't he a Milo spokesman? He may be. Somebody over there is. I think he is. Yeah, he is, it's been good and bad. I hope we get bad Bo Nix tomorrow morning. Yeah, that's what we need. Maybe he doesn't wake up well. Maybe it's kind of like our baseball team in Hoover. Doesn't play well before <laughs> lunch, right? Um, and my last number is five. That's the number of years it's been since Auburn allowed 400 yards passing. Now, in that case, it was to a junior college transfer for a team in Mississippi who a lot of people thought would be a better pro than Dak Prescott. They were wrong. You might remember the guy. His name was Chad Kelly. Mr. Irrelevant. He was the last guy drafted that year. He threw for 465 yards back in 2016. I think if Mississippi State's going to win tomorrow, that streak has to come to an end. If Mississippi State's going to win tomorrow – I think we have to throw for 400 yards, and it's been done, at least by Mississippi State. You look this year, Will Rogers threw for 419 against Memphis, 408 at Texas A&M, went 417 last week at Arkansas, 400 yards passing tomorrow to win the ballgame. Hey, I'll take that. But I tell you what, man, you know, here's the thing. Auburn is better defensively than Arkansas. I think Auburn may be better defensively, and I'll talk about one of those guys in a minute, Maybe better defensively than Texas A&M. Now, Texas A&M does have some brights. But to work, the world today is all about matchups. Who matches up with who in certain areas? It's almost like starting pitcher philosophy in baseball. You know, you're different on Friday against a team than you are on Sunday against a team. And I think that's kind of crawled into football a good bit where it's all about matchups now and how you are built defensively. I thought Arkansas was built defensively for us, and we threw for 419 yards, and we probably scored a few more points than I thought we would. But Auburn is going to be a team. I'm, I'm very interested to see how they 
defend us in the game? Is it the LSU thought process of, hey, we're normally a four-man front, but we're going to go to three and we're going to sit back? Or is it going to be the Alabama way of, hey, we've got some athletes, we may come after you a few more times? And so you kind of wonder how they are going to defend you at Auburn coming into this game. Well, that's a look at our three numbers. Now it's time to take a look at our two opposing players. Before we do that, let's uh, tell you this segment brought to you by our friends down at Country Pleasing. Country Meat Packers, go see our friend Henry Cooper. They've got the storefront down there. That's the thing. You know, I was talking to Henry earlier this week, and I've been telling him, you know, we can argue about state or Auburn, Ole Miss, Alabama, what you, whatever it is you want to argue when it comes to states. But when it comes to sausage – we're better in Conecuh. Yeah, we're going to take on – we're winning that sausage war. Yep. Uh, that's a point spread those guys don't want anything to do with. So our friends down at Country Pleasing, go stop by and see them. Jalapeno cheddar, tell them Charlie sent you. It's where it's at. Yep. I'm going to put some Country Pleasing on the grill tomorrow after the game before we play Mont- – well, I may not have time. We've got Montana basketball tomorrow night. But sometime this weekend – well, we've got two games on Saturday, uh, Sunday as well. Yeah, you better go for some blueberry maple and have some breakfast sausage on Sunday. I've got a whole stack. Every time Jen goes to the grocery, yeah, she she brings back about four or five different kinds. I've kind of run through my, my freebies, Charlie. I've run through my freebies and your freebies. Yeah, that I never saw. No, okay. My players to watch, my first one is Bo Nix. We talked about Bo Nix's dad – Patrick Nix, of course, the Auburn quarterback back in the 1990s. We talked to Stan White about the Nix family just the other day. When I look at what Bo Nix has done, you start looking at the passing game. And, of course, we know about Bo Nix and his ability to ramble through the pocket and he can escape all these different kind of jams. When you look at throwing the football, under pressure, he's completing just 38% of his passes this year. He will turn it over a little bit. Six fumbles on the season. When he gets pressured, sometimes he'll spit the bit a little bit. But here's the thing when I look at Bo Nix, Charlie. When you start looking at that medium range that we all talk about now between 10 and 19 yards, he's only completing 53% of his passes in between 10 and 19 yards down the field. Oh, that ain't good. So he has not thrown the ball well at all in that intermediate range. And when I start looking at the numbers, too, within that range – 55% in the middle of the field. He's completing 61% intermediate left. Now listen to this. Intermediate right, from the numbers to the sideline, 10 to 20 yards down the field on the right side, okay? He's only 6 of 15 this year throwing the ball. So a lot of stuff underneath. They have a lot of drops. He has had a difficult time throwing the football at times this year. So when you start looking at the overall picture, nine touchdowns, three interceptions, they throw screens 11% of the time. He is not a guy that completes a lot of passes down the field at all. And I go back to my point of the five yards after the catch, that's where Auburn has really struggled at times this year. Not only are they not getting anything after the catch, they're catching balls close to the line of scrimmage. They have not had that big play threat at wide receiver, and you kind of got to keep that going tomorrow. Anytime I see guys who struggle to throw the ball to the right, right-handed quarterbacks, you wonder what's getting in their head when you basically have to turn your back on that left defensive end, right side of the defense, left side of your offensive line. Because when you're making the throw to the left, to some degree everything's still in front of you. But as a right-hander, to throw right, particularly on that out pattern, you got to kind of turn your back a little bit. 
and sometimes it starts getting in guys' head about what's coming from the backside. Well, one of those reasons is the left tackle, Brandon Council, has been out the past couple of weeks. He is coming back, and they expect him to come back in this game. So he, he may have more of a safety blanket over on that blind side tomorrow. Zion Puckett's supposed to come back. Malcolm Johnson's supposed to come back. He hasn't played since they played Arkansas. And so they're, they're anticipating get th- getting three big contributors back for this game. But the big one for Bo Nix will be that left tackle, Brandon Council. The, my other guy that I want to talk about is Roger McCreary. And Roger McCreary, the cornerback for Auburn, right now is grading out as probably the second best cornerback in the SEC. The thing he has done is he has locked down people at cornerback, and that's one of the reasons this Auburn defense has been so good, especially against the pass over the last few games. He is second in the league in pass breakups at nine. He locks up and he tackles. He doesn't miss a whole lot. of. He's only missed six tackles all season long. He is a solid, solid cornerback, and so he's a big key in the game. If you're Will Rogers tomorrow and you're going to take chances on the outside, you got to be leery of Mr. Roger McCreary. That rhymed. Mm, well, <laughs> he's in the neighborhood of a rhyme, I'll give you that. Um, all right, my two guys, first of all, uh, Tank Bigsby, and it's kind of an easy guy to profile in the sense of identifying him. You pick Bo Nix, I pick Tank Bigsby. There won't be two more important players on the field for Auburn offensively tomorrow. Bigsby is a guy, he's a sophomore from LaGrange, Georgia. He was the conference freshman of the year a year ago. He's gone over 100 yards four times this year, but he's had a little tougher times in conference games, particularly against those whose teams are not named Ole Miss. We talk all the time on this show kind of trying to identify patterns inside, outside, where guys run. This is a balanced running back. If you want to look whether he goes left, right, inside, outside, he does it all about the same, and he has about the same amount of success each way. I didn't profile this guy, but he's going to have a lot to do with that same position. And the guy to also keep an eye on at running back, Jarquez Hunter. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you don't know the name, well, you should and you will. He is a freshman. He's from Neshoba Central, Philadelphia, Mississippi. And he gets about a third less snaps than Bigsby does. But he's more explosive. Man, he's good. He's getting seven and a half yards per carry when he gets the football. He has been really, really good at times. Hasn't been as involved the past few weeks. And you wonder if all of a sudden you have a game like A&M where you're thinking, all right, we got to get some playmakers on the field. You always start to see in the second half. What do you see with those really exciting freshmen? Big out of the gate. Again, some games that are a little lopsided. Then they take a dip, and then towards the end of the season, you start to trust them more, get them involved. Although I'm profiling number four, Tank Bigsby. Watch out for Hunter. This guy from Neshoba Central is a ball player. Yeah, he really is. I saw a kid kind of grow up, watched him through the ranks. Everybody in Neshoba County will tell you he's been good for a long time, and uh, I hate to see him over there on that other side. The other guy that I'm going to profile is number 25, Colby Wooden. He is a defensive lineman of some sort. And what I mean by that is they'll play him inside. They'll rotate him outside. He originally last year started as a defensive tackle. He's 6'5", 278. He was all freshman a year ago. So this is another young player for Auburn who has a lot of talent. And here is the thing about Colby Wooden. He gets after the quarterback, and he does it from an inside position. So many times we're coming out, we're talking about the guys who are going to make it hard on our tackles. 
we're talking about Will Anderson from Alabama and how he's going to really wear out our right tackle if we aren't careful. There is nothing to me more rare and more impactful than a guy who can get in the middle of your offensive line and cause trouble. Wooden is one of those guys. He's got height, he's got speed, and he's just got that certain knack for getting after the quarterback. Even last week, got three hurries on the quarterback, and in the context of a ball game, that matters. What have we said the last three weeks about creating pocket? It's about creating the pocket in the middle and allowing Will Rogers to step up. Last week, Arkansas got pressure from the nose guard a couple times, and it gave us trouble. He made plays one-on-one in the run game. I think that is such a big factor with our offense when you're trying to block five up front and you're trying to flare out running backs is you have to block that interior guy, keep him at the line of scrimmage, and not allow penetration. It's not about getting hurries. It's about creating the pocket for Rodgers to step up into. Yeah, so wouldn't a guy to keep an eye out on. So that takes us down to our one coach. All right, my one coach, and we talked about him just a moment ago, and that's Derek Mason, the former head coach at Vanderbilt. You know, Derek Mason spent time, and where he made his name was a defensive coordinator at Stanford. He was out at Stanford, you know, 10 years ago. But what's interesting with that 3-4 defense at Stanford, under David Shaw at Stanford, he faced Mike Leach as a defensive coordinator twice in 2012 and 2013 when Mike Leach came to the Pac-12. And so this is not new territory for Derek Mason. But, hey, you kind of wonder sometimes, sometimes head coaches come into a program Former head coaches, they're back in a coordinator role, and you kind of wonder how they mesh with everyone. But it seems like Derek Mason has kind of settled back in to that good role as a defensive coordinator. Some guys are just not meant to be head coaches. Some guys are meant to be really good coordinators. And it just seems to me that Derek Mason is that type of guy who is a really good coordinator and not that great of a head coach. Now, he was at Vanderbilt, so you have to give him a little bit of a pass. And so it's going to be a good key matchup tomorrow, one that's happened before out in the Pac-12, and that's Mike Leach and his offense against Derek Mason and his defense. He's my coach. My coach is Will Friend. And if you're from Mississippi, if you're from Alabama. The show was central. Basically, if you've lived in the South, you've heard of Will Friend. Will Friend is the offensive line coach for Auburn. His father a Mississippi High School Hall of Famer, Chuck Friend, was the coach at, and you mentioned it, Neshoba Central. And Starville. Came to Starville, won back-to-back state championships in 94 and 95. Did some coaching at uh, South Panola, even. You know where Chuck Friend's from, right? West Point. He and Jim Ellis went to high school together at West Point. How about that? He's a former Green Wave. So, Chuck Friend, obviously a big-time coach in his own right, but his son, Will Friend, left Mississippi, went to Alabama, was a – Starter on the offensive line there, and in fact was on their all-decade team. Will Friend later became an assistant, coached at UAB, coached at Georgia, Colorado State, Tennessee, and now he's at Auburn. You talk about a guy good to have on your staff. Is there a high school in Mississippi, Alabama, or Georgia, Tennessee, or probably even Florida that he had knocked on the door of? Will was at Colorado State with Mike Bobo. And then they split up, and now the reunion happening right now with Will going back, working for Mike Bobo at Auburn as his offensive line coach. Yeah, and the other thing about Will Friend, it's always interesting when you see offensive line coaches who have been coordinators. He's one of those guys, and you think he's been a run game coordinator, whatever that means, but he's also been an offensive coordinator along with being an offensive line coach. Now, granted, that was for Mike Bobo, which is a little bit like being offensive coordinator under Mike Leach. I mean, 
you're still kind of playing the, the second fiddle there. But he's a guy who understands the full concept of the offense. And so Will Friend, though, the coach uh, for Auburn that I chose to profile today. All right, Charlie. It's that time again. Two brothers, two-minute drill. Two brothers right on University Drive just down the road headed toward campus. Great place to sit outside, watch a ball game, especially this time of year. Sit out on the front patio, the balcony upstairs. The food is just outstanding. We talk about it every week. I'm going to – well, I won't go to two brothers tomorrow because you play a 9 o'clock ball game, and then you got basketball later on. So just like the country pleasing sauces, Charlie, i got to find a time sometime in the next week because I go at least one time per week that I walk into two brothers. Could be a takeout day for you tomorrow. Can do that because they do a lot of takeout orders. Hey, they make a big old pan of those smoked wings. Have you ever done that? Go get a big old pan of smoked wings, take them to the house, sit around, watch some games. You know, I'm not a wing guy. Yeah, I know. No, I'm a taco guy. Are you flats or drumettes when it does come to wings? No, I'm a neither. You're neither. Okay, yeah. you don't like any any of it. No, you're not even a, it out of hand. Not even a boneless wing guy. No, a chicken nugget. No, nope. there's no such thing as a boneless wing. There's chicken nuggets. We're ready for the two-minute drill, right? Okay, yeah, that's right. Okay, so I hit the whistle, and then I'll start. Okay, so here we go. Let's start it out right here. All right, Charlie. In 2009, Cam Newton rang a cowbell. Just stop. No. No. Uh, no. We're not going to acknowledge him. Okay. Uh, as legend has it, in 1892, in Auburn's first football game, a showdown with the University of Georgia. An old Civil War soldier sat in the stands with an eagle that he had found in battle, and the eagle broke free, soared over the field, and fans started chanting, War Eagle. And that's the first time, and that's the reason that the Auburn war cry is War Eagle. Made-up story. Tracy Rocker is a college football Hall of Famer. He became an NFL coach. He played defensive line at Auburn. His son, Kumar Rocker, lost the national championship game three to Mississippi State. In the 1930s, Auburn was getting ready to play SEC rival Georgia Tech, and the night before the game, ROTC cadets greased the railroad tracks near the station at Auburn, and the train slid by, couldn't stop. It went five miles down the road. Georgia Tech players had to walk five miles to the stadium. Auburn won 45 to nothing as a result. Not the first time that Auburn cheated, probably not the last time. See, Cam Newton. That was, that was Veterans Day this week. Alvin ward Vodal of Auburn was an American lawyer and business executive. He was also a World War II fighter pilot who was nicknamed Sammy from Alabama. His escape efforts after becoming a prisoner of war in World War II led him to inspire the great escape, turned into a feature film starring Steve McQueen. Sammy from Alabama. Sammy from Alabama. Leary of McQueary. Only four Power Five schools have the color scheme of navy blue and orange. You've got Auburn, Illinois, Syracuse, and Virginia. Auburn has the most wins of those four schools at 762. A lot is made about the Auburn-Alabama rivalry, but Auburn has actually played more football games against Georgia, Georgia Tech, Florida, and Mississippi State than they have the Crimson Tide. And Apple CEO Tim Cook is originally from Robertsdale, Alabama, and graduated from Auburn. And you would think with that kind of tech background, Robertsdale would figure out a way to move people through its town faster than 17 miles an hour. And finally, another veteran, Ken Mattingly, 
is a rear admiral from the United States Navy, but he is more famously known as the man who didn't take the flight on Apollo 13. He was played by Gary Sinise in the movie featuring Tom Hanks. Ken Mattingly, not on that flight, and never got the measles. Well, in any event, that is another Tracks Plus Deep Dig brought to you here on a Friday in the Farm Bureau studios. Thanks again to all our friends at Farm Bureau. Thanks to our friends at Tracks Plus, Country Pleasing, and Down at Two Brothers. Hey, and don't forget about the Mississippi Beef Council. Beef, it's what's for dinner. Brought to you by the Mississippi Cattlemen, Farmers, and their checkoff. Well, we'll see you on Sunday.